Greetings and welcome to podcast number 23 with Pork and me, Nigel. No producer Colin this month, but we do have a bumper set of reviews of the biggest movies to come our way in the last month and our customary look ahead to what's new in November. It's not customary, we don't look ahead to November every time no. here. Obviously we look ahead to the month ahead. Um, we'll also have a Kubrick-themed watch with Spool as well, um, but let's kick off with Nightcrawler, which opens up in cinemas today. Here's a clip. The name of my company is Video Production News, a professional news gathering service. That's how it should be read and that's how it should be said. I also want to go to the next rung and meet your team and the station manager and the director and the anchors and start developing my own personal relationships. I'd like to start meeting them this morning. You'll take me around, you'll introduce me as the owner and president of Video Production News and remind them of some of my many other stories. I'm not done. I also want to stop our discussion over prices. This will save time. So when I say that a particular number is my lowest price, that's my lowest price. And you can be assured that I arrived at whatever that number is very carefully. Now, when I say that I want these things, I mean that I want them. And I don't want to have to ask again. Is he looking at the camera there? No, he's kind of looking at um, the female actor who's in that scene. Rene Russo. It looked kind of like he was looking at the camera. Um, but maybe that's the whole thing, because it's kind of like, point of view so who knows i didn't read a whole lot about nightcrawler um before going into before it. going into it uh other than just kind of seeing all the clips everyone going like oh jake gillenhall he's you know he's really amazing but there was something there where maybe people you know they weren't giving the game away with the publicity too much they were just kind of pushing the performance a bit but uh anyway in this jake gillenhall uh plays a freelance crime journalist who goes around la listening to police scanners looking for trouble to, and he films it and then sells it to freelance TV networks. Um, directed by Dan Gilroy, who's a first-time director, and his he wrote the script with his brother Tony, and they'd done The Bourne Legacy together. Is that two years ago? The surprisingly the most good recent sequel. One. Yeah, the one without Matt Damon. Oh, I didn't. Ed Norton. Uh, no. Um, cup of tea while I remember. Jeremy Renner. Ah, uh, yes. Not is that Norton the bad guy in that? Uh, he might be. I can't remember. I saw that film twice in the cinema. Um, and I still can't remember. And I would have thought about it. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, yeah. We saw Nightcrawler uh, earlier this week. It's out today. Um, it looks amazing. In the first few minutes, I thought I was going to absolutely love the film. Uh, the way that the director has kind of shot it. Um, you're kind of harking back to Collateral, Michael Mann. That's 10 years old, which I felt very... Uh, old when I kind of saw that but uh, throughout it I didn't really know whether I was meant to like Gyllenhaal's character I don't think you can if you do you're a bit jaded or something it's yeah it's an odd, odd one because you kind of hate the character and, and it's tough for films like that to really get immersed in it you just kind of appreciate it from a distance where you're like oh this is a very good yeah, he's character a so- portrayal yeah, he's a sociopath and you're just kind of you're able to admire the performance but then it's really I find it very hard to connect uh, with him yeah it's kind of because there's some open plot holes towards at the, when it wraps up at the start you're like did he kill that guy at the start yeah it's not really that crucial because he's st- yeah there, it, there's deliberately i think lots of stuff is left unexplained like the director has obviously opted to do that because we just see him finishing little jobs we don't actually see him doing anything bad like the thing with the other news crew yes um you know that thing, like, and you're like, wait a minute, what do you do there? And then you're like, oh, he must do. Yeah. So lots of little questions like that. So Gilroy has done, he, he's probably made the film he wanted to, but personally, I think uh, it left a little bit to be desired. I give it three when I 
uh, review this but um, yeah I think I'd probably be giving it the same a lot of people are going a bit crazy about it saying you know five stars and Oscar buzz which could potentially develop but uh, yeah for him again it's one of these where you're kind of seeing it for performance over anything but the director kind of said when he got in touch with Gyllenhaal they kind of touched it as a like a, th- a theatre piece almost and he he was kind of like a lot of improvisation in some regards as regards to the character like he decided oh, he'd lose all the weight because like, he'd appear like a coyote. He's kind of always lean and, nice. and hungry and yeah. night crawlers. So that's why he lost a big amount of weight for it. 20 pounds. Mm. Mm. No mean feat. No. Um, yeah. I'm just, like I wrote in my review, there was the two main people. The other guy, cool person I liked was Robert Elswit, who was a cinematographer, um, who's Paul Thomas Anderson's go-to dude. And he did, uh, obviously, all the Paul Thomas Anderson films since possibly uh i don't know how going back how far but um yeah. he's on inherent vice isn't that the one that's coming out early next year which yes we got to see a trailer for this month looks fantastic looks, does look bonkers but we're not allowed to talk about it yet yeah um, so uh yeah you're watching the sound this is fun without producer colin at the helm isn't it we yeah we're using the go-to what is this called emirant's uh, recorder there we go yeah so. It's working out quite well. But anyway, it made me think back to Collateral. That was the main thing for the first half an hour. I was like, I wonder, because this is shot on Ari Alexa cameras, so it looks, I had to Google that, obviously, but um, it looks the best that any kind of digitally shot night stuff can now look. Like, this looks, anyone who has any argument for film over digital should go and see this in a proper kind of cinema and yeah. enjoy seeing what these kind of but it kind of shows you the failings of a film if it's just if, re- that's if it reminds you of oh I must go and watch Collateral yeah. again yeah. or yeah. it may be a slow burner like as you think like that to go back and watch it again knowing a bit more about the slight growth of what was his name Lou Bloom might actually work better and you might want to go back to it in six months or a year but afterwards I just felt a little bit indifferent about the whole thing and, and, and to me some of it seemed a bit far-fetched but then I read uh, an interview with the director in Gyllenhaal and then went out with a nightcrawler guy and the first scene they came across yeah. was of a car crash with three girls just splattered all over yeah. the wall it is a di- it's a different world like there was the there was a feature in the um Irish Times last month about the death knockers and stuff that we have in Ireland. Like yeah. it seems that in Ireland we our news cycle loves uh, people who go hunting for stories of death afterwards. But it does seem in America they love a police chase, they love accident yeah. kind of footage, well, real life crime as yeah. it's happening rather than they're the kind of making the argument it. that news has become entertainment. It's yeah. not news, and the big element is to keep you afraid. Because if you're not afraid, you're not going to watch. You need to be scared. You have to see what happens next. And it's a ratings game, effectively. Yeah. I love as well that it's a fight for ratings at 6 a.m. And they're like, oh, make it bloodier. And you're like, what do you want to watch at 6 a.m.? You want light and fluffy Ireland a.m. Yeah. kind of cookery pieces. Yeah. Something really nice and Kelly gentle. Brooks. Talk about football, maybe for a few minutes. I certainly don't want to see a bloody scene of a car wreck. But anyway, this is America. Um, so I would, I would actually recommend some people to see it. But it, it just wouldn't be. It, it did disappoint. It was our in our what's for watching. Like you know, we had could have been Jake Hall down yeah. as the as the man of the month. But um, other than the performance and the way it looks, the whole thing, like the plot, is a little bit all out there. And um, it's the kind of thing that at the end you know that the director maybe was a first time director or something that he kind of was just trying to put the pieces together and working out um so anyway yeah that was nightcrawler and we're gonna talk about fury now which came out a week or two ago so it came out last week yeah. yeah so we'll start with a clip from that
Oh, you hear that? It's a goddamn SS battalion. Both. Jesus Christ. Greg, my gun. Yeah. You want to get the weapon? Yeah, it's just getting all right. Look, it's about to be dark. Just Stop. get on up out of here, huh? Let them pass on through. Let's hit them woods. Dude, Norman, go get your pack. Let's go. We ain't never run before. I ain't running now. What's that? We're gonna fight it out. We can't. I'm gonna hold this crossroad. What you mean you gonna hold this? The tank's busted. The tank's busted, top. Yeah, you said that. Top, what are you doing? What do you want to do? You want to sit here? We're gonna hold this crossroad. You cross want to sit here? Hold off the SS battalion. No, it's not what I want to do, but it's what we're doing. There's five of us. Hit your fighting position. Mount up. Fighting position when we ain't got a tank. How are we gonna fight? We got a cannon. No, that don't make top, sense. You don't Stop! What are you doing? Uh, so that was Fury, which was directed by David Iyer and written by David Iyer. And there was insane PR for this. It seemed like every turnaround there was an ad We've for Fury. We've been hearing about Fury for a really Months. long time. Yeah. yeah. Which is kind of, I suppose, the nature of the game now almost, where like half of your budget goes in advertising to get bums on seats. So you will know it seems that... Seems to have worked. It got a lot of people talking, I think, and... Early on, it did. I have no idea. It's, that sounded like I was going to introduce some box office numbers. Yeah. I don't have any numbers. But like, it's <laughs> always a tough one. How do you sell a war film to half of the population? Not to be sexist or anything. Absolutely. But, you know, it's kind of like selling a, a, a chick flick to guys. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, some of us will be inquisitive and open-minded enough to go and see Interested it. Interested in history. Yeah, I saw like this um, and it was very... Like, there was a lot of couples there and it was really obvious that, like... Like, there was no groups of girls, and it was obvious the guy just said, oh, it's a new Brad Pitt film, do you want to check it out? Yeah. And then turns out... He does out get shirtless, like, too. Yeah, true, true. Anyway, tell um, us about it. Yeah, so it's kind of a band of brothers uh, set in a, an army tank, and there's a nice, interesting thing at the start where it says, um, the American tanks were far inferior to the Germans, suffered huge casualties, and it opens with the scene of a battlefield destroyed with tanks. And Fury is the name of Brad Pitt's tank. He's the leader. Love he, that they name their tanks. Yeah. He was called War Daddy is his name as well. So we had Shia LaBeouf, Logan Lerman uh, comes along eventually. Michael Penna and John Benthal. They're From kind The of, Walking Dead. Yep. They're kind of the group. And Michael Penna starred in End of Watch with Jake Gyllenhaal, which David Iyer also directed. Yeah. David Iyer, like, is a good, he knows how to make films about men. Like, he had... Uh, training day as well and um, sab- well maybe not sabotage but like End of Watch was definitely a film about how men kind of exist together in work and this kind of macho thing and you had the whole best job I ever had and you kept like yeah I was like what is the because did you say that before I saw it we saw it separately and yeah I think like, I said like, and so that is the kind of bullshit that you sort of get yeah. into like this lad mentality and, and you become you can see that they've become institutionalized and so the f- film starts with that and they come back to base they are Logan Lerman is foisted upon them because they've lost a gunner and, and it felt like that they felt like, they, oh, this is war and people die all the time, but it felt like these guys had actually been through a lot. So for them, yeah. for the five of them to lose. And you couldn't have a more fresh fa- fresh face looking guy. So they were just kind of like, no way you were coming in our tank. You're going to get us killed. Yeah. And he almost does on various occasions because he is very wet behind the ears. And you're kind of, the He's, shock, it's like very many war films. You know, you've got the reality of saving Private Ryan without the shaky cam. Um you have the symbolism I've said in the review of um, 
thin blue line. Jarhead and the thin blue line because there's this element of horses running through the film, which I kind of think is like almost a bit of a metaphor because the horses died out from World War One and it was all about the tanks, but then there's still Yeah, did German kind of generals ride into scenes on I don't think so. I think it started the start of World War Two kind of was that, but then they realised, oh no, everybody has tanks, this isn't gonna work. Yeah. Um and there's a, an incredibly um almost apocalypse now scene where they have liberated a village and are all hanging out for want of a worse term with a bunch of women and the lads bail in on top of Brad Pitt and Logan Lerman and then recount this story of how they had to execute hundreds of horses just for days on end at one point of the war, German horses. And you kinda that's one of the scenes when you realise they all have this shell shocked mentality yeah. of there's no way they can return back to reality. Yeah, which leads to kind of the third act where Yeah, they have this it comes to a crux where the, the tank is screwed and there's a German troop coming up behind them as we heard yeah. in the clip. Do you fight or flight and yeah and it's pretty a obvious a, what they're gonna do. They're gonna anyway. stay and there is this element of um they're kind of sealing their own destiny. They're they're really just like we can't go any further and they're almost kind of committing suicide in some way. Yeah. I, I thought it was the best depiction of just how messed up you get from war possibly that i've ever seen like we've i'm not saying it's the best war film ever but um i thought it was absolutely brilliant and the way for a world war ii film it's almost like a vietnam film in yeah world war ii in some regards because you you had a touch of that was saving private ryan but there's much more nobility in yeah, saving this... private ryan there's none in this i don't think yeah and it's horrible. And I think that may be from the fact that they're tank men and they're not the like the fighter pilots who are all very graceful and kind of, you know, they, they're kind of the scenes of heroes of World War Two. When you think about the symbolism, you don't hear much about the tanks or anything. No. Um, so it's cool. I thought the actual tank itself was also amazing. Like, and the way it was shot in felt very claustrophobic and the little hatches and all that. And yeah. It was very, very clever. And the fact... I love that every fifth bullet was, had a trail. A tracer thing. A, a it, tracer, yeah. 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 I was like, is this actually true? It looks like Star Wars because it yeah. was red laser things and shooting green. against green. Yeah. <laughs> and, but they did, I think they had the colours wrong. Yeah. In that green is good and red is bad. Um, but it's almost, bar that last 20 minutes where it was an insane fight scene that goes on and on, it's almost like an art house war film in some regards. Yeah, because the scene, like, there's a 25 minute scene in the German house with those girls, which yeah. is almost in. I know Brad Pitt's there, so you're thinking of Inglorious Bastards and that kind of yes. scene of just men sat down around war and conversation, but like the most tense thing, you're on the edge of your seat. Yeah, like, what's going to happen? Because gonna happen? Um, John Bernthal kind of plays a bit of an idiot in it. His teams actually properly have issues and you're always just on edge whenever he's around because you don't know what he's going to do. And Yeah. Um, but yeah, absolutely... Um, fantastic i you give it four i'd be mm. even in the four and a half kind of camp it the third act you'll either it'll turn you against or completely for the film you'll either yeah. buy into it or get sickened by it but absolutely brilliant and i don't care if they give us all that publicity because um it, it worked it worked it's all good shout out for shia labeouf too actually i thought he was very good and it's very kind of in the background but yeah he Fantastic. told us he wasn't going to be an actor anymore and put bags on his head and now he's actually back to doing this kind of thing maybe yeah. a little bit uh anyway um out next week i've just uh, a little while ago just came back from getting to see a preview of this and um so my head's still processing it is the new christopher nolan film interstellar uh will we take a clip perhaps sure. do you what do you know about interstellar before In i deliberately head? tried to okay to not know 
anything. In my head from the trailer, I'm going to say it's Contact meets 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah, mix of Transformers, maybe. Let's oh. Murph is a great kid. She's really bright. But she's been having a little trouble lately. She brought this in to show the other students the section on the lunar landings. Yeah, they throw in my old textbooks. She always loved the pictures. It's an old federal textbook. We've replaced them with the corrected versions. Corrected? Explaining how the Apollo missions were fake to bankrupt the Soviet Union. You don't believe we went to the moon? I believe it was a brilliant piece of propaganda that the Soviets bankrupted themselves, pouring resources into rockets and other useless machines. Useless machines? And if we don't want a repeat of the excess and wastefulness of the 20th century, then we need to teach our kids about this planet, not tales of leaving it. You know, one of those useless machines they used to make was called an MRI. And if we had any of those left, the doctors would have been able to find the cyst in my wife's brain before she died instead of afterwards. And then she'd have been the one sitting there listening to this instead of me, which had been a good thing because she was always the, the calmer one. There we go. So Matthew McConaughey is a farmer who used to be an astronaut um, in this. Are we given a year of when it starts? Um, kind of. Can't remember. I'm not even going to pretend. I think it's somewhat near future, like dystopian near future, where the world is slowly dying. I should know the near year. 21, Do you want me to 21? Google the year? No, no it's okay. Who cares? Like yeah. near future, we'll just say. Other hoverboards. Um, no, that's it. Like t- technology doesn't feel like it could be almost present day. Like there's not much. Like there's military and scientific kind of history that is more advanced, but in terms or technology, but in terms of everyday life, it's quite normal. But the dust is basically covering them everywhere. So um, it tries to uh, go uh, to, in shooting a lot of that stuff. It goes for the kind of Terence Malicky stuff, like the dust coming in over the fields and kind of uh, d- d- sort of ruining their life and everything. And so. Um, Matthew McConaughey and his daughter Murph find these kind of scientific anomalies and in their house. So they, f- they get coordinates from it and they go for a drive and they end up in the middle of a field and they stumble upon NASA because NASA was shut down years ago. And then, um, I'm not ruining I think this is all out there because, you know, you know he goes to space. That's in yeah. publicity. So um, you have to work out how he gets to space. And so it's he fine. falls into NASA. Right. And they're like, you don't know who we are, do you? And he's like, no. And he's like, we're NASA. And so then, within seemingly a day, he gets recruited to fly this mission. And you're like, you weren't going to recruit him, and now you're just going to? Like, I didn't, didn't really add up much for me. But he's he's leading this mission along with uh, Anne Hathaway, Wes Bentley, and David Gyasi. Um, and, yeah, they're going 12 probes or kind of, well, people with probes, 12 little missions were sent out to different worlds through this black hole that they found to see which one might be viable. Uh, for the world to kind of go to live in and to to bring eggs and plant new colonies. And um, they're all set up by Michael Caine because Michael Caine has to be in all these films. He has to be. It's either, is it going to be Michael Caine or Morgan Freeman? Like, you can't have both. They did, Christopher Nolan did do both with Batman, but he went for only one of them in this one. So he does all the... It's quite a long film. It's three hours. It's nearly three hours. So Mm. the one thing I realized in the first uh, bit, I was like, like, gravity was so well cut it was nice and short wasn't it like 85 minutes yeah. or something so um it's visually incredible like it is genuinely brilliant like it's shot uh on film and in like a lot of it is shot in giant imax sequences so the bits when they get to space are cool um 
And yeah, the science will kind of defy a few people or bother you a little bit. Inception like? It's yeah, we get into talk of the fourth and fifth dimensions and time and being stretched. Like people start aging at different rates as he tries to save the world and a lot of this is kind of given away. But midway through Jessica Chastain comes in. Again, she plays Don't his spoil. No, no, no. Like it's it's more or less well, she. I, I get that. No, I you twig that from the trailer, but yeah. some people mightn't have. Yeah, so okay. Don't say so that. anyway, like she then is a character who has aged, and he's not. But she is fun. She's really good in it. Adds a, suddenly you start caring about like humanity. I and did anyway, just because I'm in love with her. Yeah. Um, did it drag? And for that first kind of hour, it actually did, and then oh, okay. it suddenly took off. There's a bit. In the third, like there's a part of the third act which is just it's mind blowing and everything, so it's good. We get to also see midway through Matt Damon is in the film, which is also in the news, and I've disappeared from that. Wow. Um, because I, I look back, I was like, is this a secret? But it was announced, so they've kept him out of all the posters. Promo. But right. he, it is a story, he's on IMDb as being in it, okay. um, and everything, and he, he, it's good to kind of see him in there as well, so um. He kind of helps drive on the film in that latter half. So overall, I think it's kind of mumbo jumbo bumbo, but uh, it's visually solid three. It's exactly a solid three. Yeah. I couldn't give it any higher, or any lower. Like, and I really, I looked at the list. Um, oh yeah, I wanted to say the reason I mentioned Transformers before the clip is because he's basically Mark Wahlberg in the latest Transformers, where he's like the good dad figure, kind of looking out oh, for his daughter okay. on the farm, and he's bigger yeah. than the farm, but he can only kind of work on the farm. That's all he can do in the nice sweaty, gritty, and he drives a jeep and everything. So um, right. Yeah. So anyway, definitely worth seeing. And but it, I'm curious. Like this has been getting glowing reviews absolutely everywhere. So it may just not have clicked for me. But I, I heard a few other people on the way out just gone a bit indifferent to it. I did take a lot from it. Mm. Um, but philosophically, which is what it was really going for. Does God show up? Don't answer. <laughs> Does God show up? <laughs> what is God? Can we touch God? <laughs> anyway. Um, and good to see. That I did. I hope. I was worried for poor Matthew McConaughey. Like he couldn't do any wrong there for a good while. So I was hoping that you know he wasn't on the downward slope. But does he get shirtless? Does he get shirtless? I don't think he does. Okay. He's in space. Like it gets cold and stuff up there. But True. it's fun. You know, black holes, gravity. There's a lot there. If I was 17, this would be the greatest film I've ever seen in my life. But I still. Yeah. It's mo- way better than. Um, Transformers. Transformers and the other one uh, this year, Transcendence, which it kind of tried to that tried to buy into all this world of okay. consciousness. So really good. And Jessica Chastain and Matthew McConaughey, fantastic. Anne Hathaway is in there too. You love her. I don't mind her. Women hate her, but she's fine. Yeah, this she's is no a good role, for but me, you no. couldn't, I couldn't separate. I was like, is she just Sandra Bullock from Gravity? Like, it's very yeah. hard to... Does she sing in it? No. Um, <laughs> no. No, no Oscar for her there for us, so... Obviously. Anyway, uh, yeah. So we'll go back That's to... That's out next Friday, by the way, so... Check it out. Hopefully I didn't ruin everything, but it's worth talking about. It is a film that everyone will be talking about, and I'm really curious to see what you and everyone else says about it. Because cool. it has gone all this glowing kind of talk. And then... If you're in the right frame of mind sometimes, I don't mind going into a three-hour yeah. weighty film. You're like, yeah, bring it on. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we go back now to another war film as such. Uh, 71 yeah, came it out. A, it wasn't a war, it was a legitimate... <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Uh, so 71... It was a war, it was horrible. That's what I realised from this. 71, Yeah. sorry. Uh, it stars Jack O'Connell, who's kind of an up-and-coming star. He was in Startup, which was earlier this year, I think. Yeah, February, yeah. I think. So, which he played a criminal uh, prison 
so now he's de- it's called 71 obviously because it's set in 1971 in oh. Belfast right. it's directed by Jan apologies for his name Demanji it looks like Jan Deman he's uh, <laughs> no, he's the director of it so um, yeah and is it a man? it is yes just check it yeah I looked it up so first time director I think right? yeah first feature film uh, he directed the TV miniseries that Charlie Brooker wrote about Big Brother. It was called Dead Set. Or oh, yeah. Zombie. So he directed that. <coughs> the zombie Big Brother. That was... What a jump. So it's set in 1971 in Belfast. Jack O'Connell plays a British squaddy in the army. He kind of starts out with him going through different training, going through the ropes. And then in the middle of the night, his commanding officer comes in and says, look, you're going... You're staying here. We're shipping you out to Belfast to handle the trouble that's going on. And pretty much straight away, they're called out to uh, the RUC, are carrying out a search in a house. They have to go as backup, and riot breaks out. One of the soldiers is killed, and in the ensuing melee, Jack O'Connell gets separated from his platoon and is basically on the run because they've already killed this soldier. They learn that Jack O'Connell is missing and on the run, and so they're out to hunt him. Uh, So we'll take a clip. Please don't bring them back in. Stay quiet. Shh. Welcome, Brett. A soldier? A real soldier? Fucking brilliant. What boy see him? I don't know, I was in a school. Is it McGabry? Pass Barks? Hybrid? I don't know. What are you doing at anyway? Get home. No, I'm home. You lost? Come on, I'll take you back to your bards. Come on, I'll take you to your bards. It's up to you. What else are you going to do? Yeah, so that was the scene from 71 where we have Jack O'Connell coming in contact with the young. Uh, Loyalist Child, as he is described on IMDb, which uh, who's played by Corey McKinley, who's brilliant in it. Actually, that's a nice wee interlude where you kind of get drawn into the different worlds. Um, it's, it's a very not a, it's not a side that you often see in cinema. The lo- like the kind of lo- you wouldn't really have any sympathy for a loyalist family yeah. usually in terms of what we're shown. So the bad guys in this fam- in the film for me like are the RUC and. Uh, the special branch i suppose the kind of mi5 or mi6 whatever those lads are like the like the, the british army did no wrong in this film, british right? army were just simply following their orders they like turn that, up yeah. and like the bad guys are painted out as the ruc because they're kind of abused the family that are there and then there's a whole secret kind of cloak and dagger secret service going on where they're supplying bombs to the loyalists and backfires and yada yada yada. you give us info we'll give you crap and so eventually everybody is everybody is after jack o'connell by the end of it uh it's very thrilling there is fantastic score um david holmes by david holmes of of belfast and oceans 11 (laughs) very fitting like it's a great it's really 70s feel to it it's very kind of pulpy and um, like the long good, uh, uh, Good Friday, the long Good Friday, kind of had that feel to it. You know, it's very gritty, and it also stars Charlie Murphy and Richard Dormer, who 
people recognise as Terry Hooley. Terry Hooley and Siobhan from Love Hate. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, I wonder what they're... Yeah, a lot of Love Hate people in it as well. Um, a little bit, yeah. You saw it as well. Yeah, I got to see it in uh, the Grosvenor Cinema in Glasgow, which uh, I have some pictures here that I'll show you. It's a little boutique cinema, which got to sit on a couch. Brilliant. It was an amazing little cinema. So it was actually really comfortable. And then um, you... Uh, you then had this very horrible kind of thing on screen, which is like, it's not a very comfortable film. You're left really, really tense from, and your allegiance is sort of split a bit because we're led to le- always think the union side was always terrible and to blame, but because he's at the bottom of the ladder and he's out there and he's terrified, you know, he's been screwed over by these people. And there's a, ho- like there's a scene in a pub where you really realize just how messed up, yeah, the relationships are um, in terms of who supports who and what goes on, and I mean it happens everywhere. Yeah, in anything that in gets all conflict situations, dirty once kind you of get, war. Yeah. yeah, but a fantastic. I've never felt as uh, getting lots of realistic films this year. I felt like I was in World War Two with Fury, and then I was in Space with Interstellar. With this, it was really, really good as a depiction of 1970s Belfast. Like, yeah. the, the scene of the families, like, running through the houses. Like, people just that had their brilliant, actually, walls yeah. knocked down. Like, uh-huh. can you imagine? Like, it's and such poverty. poverty. Yeah. Really, 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 really bad. But um, enjoyed it a lot. Um, looked fantastic as well. I'm not sure who shot the film, but um, whoever the cinematographer was deserves a, a pass on the back. And for a first-time directing effort, it's great. I think mm. so. Uh, quickly then, just to finish up with our reviews, uh, I went to see on Wednesday The Babadook, uh, which is a brilliant film. What is a Babadook? I haven't seen it. Is it a baby duck? No. That's very good. Uh, no, it's not. I thought it might have been a nature program. Derek Mooney is not in it. Nowhere to be seen. Okay. Uh, so it's directed by Jennifer Kent, and it stars a mother and her son. And you learn very quickly that... The husband died as he was bringing the mum to the hospital to give birth to the kid. So she is husbandless and the kid is about four or five now, maybe, or maybe six or seven. And it's kind of she's at her wits end. She's just hasn't really dealt with the death of her husband, hasn't been able to get over it. Her son was maybe on the spectrum of autism in some regards, or maybe he's just like a normal six year old kid. Um. So she is, Essie Davis plays Amelia and Noah Wiseman plays Samuel, her son. And it's amazing acting. So about 20 minutes into the film, Noah, um, sorry, Samuel, the character, uh, gives this book to his mother and it's called The Babadook. So they read the story and it's about, it's a pretty scary story and she doesn't finish it for him and he becomes very upset. But then over the course of the film, so it's about a, a bad creature that comes in and, you know, classic mm. thing if are they s- australian it is an yes australian sentence film. in, set oh, in yeah. australia so if you've seen the trailer i was kind of put a tweet about this earlier you would be expecting the conjuring or annabelle but what actually you're getting is kind of rosemary's baby right. it's much more psychological there's a lot of weird stuff going on like it's really a film about um kind of postnatal depression even though it's a good few years after just dealing with trauma single parenthood mm. woman on her own just being a mother in and it's fantastic because the at some point during the film the book comes back to do that classic horror thing of destroying the book and the book comes back and there's <gasps> more has been added to the story because there's <gasps> blank pages and it's that you really just are realizing is the kid gonna die and is she going to kill the kid? Is she actually the Babadook? And then the very end is very open to interpretation. I kind of have 
a feeling of what it is, but it is mm. that kind of phenomenally good reviews. Ninety six percent fresh on yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. Like I think Guardian give it four, Empire give it five. I think mm. Mark Remote raved about it. It is. It's very good. I don't. I don't think it's doing quite well in box office figures. It's maybe ninth in the top ten or yeah, something. Yeah, but it'll probably. It's not getting much of it. Like there's no talk about it. But that's the kind of thing that over like this weekend, it's on my viewing list for this weekend. Hopefully, yeah. And it'll hopefully become like as in this is much better than a Ouija or Ouija. Ouija. Yeah. Ouija, which is the worst trailer ever, and Annabelle was crap. And you know, there's this. Hopefully, will be the horror film that people then kind of remember i think so year. yeah it and like it's great that there's a this all there's so much small attention to detail like the whole film you notice a, a bit in everything inside the house is incredibly gray it's almost like beetlejuice in some regards all the color has been drained from it and then everybody externally wears a certain kind of uniform they all have the same color and then this then plays into the very end when it it you can't really talk about it but it, it the whole color scheme totally changes and that leads you to believe what's actually going on here is what we are seeing real. Is it imagined? Right. So it's very, it's very, very good. And it has tones of, there's a very famous, I don't know if it's a f- proper novel or a short story called The Yellow Wallpaper. It kind of reminded me of that, this kind of real sense of unease and wits end. So yeah, fantastic acting by S.E. Davis. And, and you were no telling Eisman. me before, that's your movie moment. Something from it is your Yeah, so moment. my movie moment of the month, sometimes, you know, you'd pick like, a great explosion or execution of a scene or something but for this it's like a character setup because she's on her own with her kid and she has to go to a birthday party because obviously her husband died the same day her son was born so she has a joint birthday party with a friend of hers a niece so her sister has a kid and they always go to the birthday party but he doesn't want to really play with any of the girls and she makes them go and play so then you're just left with the mother who's sitting at the table and all the other mothers are there. The camera angle is taken from below, so they're all much higher than her, kind of looking down on her, and they're all encircling her. And the director has done a fantastic thing where they all have these fantastic haircuts, and they're all incredibly good-looking and have fantastic jobs and good husbands, and they've all got these brilliant presents for her. And then it'll cut back to the mum, Amelia, and she's much lower She's kind of, her hair is a mess. She's just totally distraught. So in that just one scene, it's fantastically cool. captured all the characters. So it's brilliant. Sounds well good. worth checking Hi- out. Highly recommended. Also highly recommended. We're only doing highly recommended films this month, it seems. Is, uh, my movie moment of the month comes from Gone Girl. It's a bit at the end, or near the end, uh, when Rosamund Pike uh, destroys someone with a fantastically... Uh, brilliant murder scene that's when the music a, really kicks in, in from bed. Trent Reznor yeah yeah again this is out a couple of weeks so who knows but that's uh, when fans I was of How I Met Your like... Mother will, will oh, enjoy yeah. it so Gone Girl got, was probably the most divisive film I've seen people who read the book really were very indifferent people who were seeing it uh, first off seemed to be really into it and then everyone lots of people thought it was comedy some people thought it was you know, a drama, and it's I thought it was a black yes. comedy. Some people completely. I've seen, and they're like, did you think it was funny? And I was like, how did you not think it was funny? Yeah, and I think he wanted it to be funny and managed to trick everyone into not knowing that. So uh, kudos to David Fincher. But uh, that was the movie moment of the month. Anyway, just as a as a sequence, a, 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 a murder in a bed. It's not something I've seen in a long time. Anyway, um, yeah, we'll take a clip now from one of our Watch With Spool picks. Do you want to give us an intro? Uh, this is The Killing. It's from 1956. Cool. 
At 7 p.m. that same day, Johnny Clay, perhaps the most important thread in the unfinished fabric, furthered its design. None of these men are criminals in the usual sense. They've all got jobs. They all live seemingly normal, decent lives, but they got their problems, and they've all got a little larceny in them. Now, you take my pal Unger, for instance, the guy who owns this apartment. He's putting up the money to operate with, and he's letting me stay here. Yeah, so throughout October and November, Dublin's Lighthouse Cinema has been running a complete Stanley Kubrick season where they're showing pretty much all of his features, all in the lead up to the restored print release of 2001 A Space Odyssey. More on that later. Uh, we all know he's a bit of a genius, but um, and everyone's seen A Clockwork Orange, Full Metal Jacket. And so we thought we'd be clever or smart or, you know, smart arses and go back and watch two of his early films that neither of us had seen. The Killing, which we just heard the clip from Pork from 1956 and Paths of Glory from 1957 so yeah yeah it was after um, Kirk Douglas had seen The Killing and was like hey you should come Let's to do Paths of Glory. Glory yeah so in the clip there we heard Stanley Hayden who people will more recognise probably with um, Doctor Strangelove he plays the crazy corporal who decides that nuclear war has been declared and mm. you know starts the whole thing off He's the leader of a gang of criminals who decide to rob a racetrack, uh, a horse racetrack, not a dog racetrack. And Is that an important detail? I think so, yeah. I don't think they have Stanley dog. Stanley Kubrick's all about the detail, you know? Okay, I don't think they have dog Kubrick. racing in America. Of course they do. Greyhounds are Santa's not a big thing. Little helper, anyway. Yeah, but it's not as big a thing anywhere, it seems to be. As, as big as horses, but anyway. No, dogs aren't as big as horses. No, I'm... Oh. So anyway, uh, they decide to knock over the horse race track uh, for two million, which in today's money is probably what a billion dollars was effectively there. Uh, in today's money, I don't know. I, it, it seems inflation. like an awful lot of money to have been held at the place. Anyway, so you could hear at the very start of that. There's like a narration for the whole film, and it kind of sets it up as a mock, or no, as a documentary. But reading up about the film, Stanley Kubrick didn't want the narration in it. He was made to put that in by the studio. As a background? Just as because, and when you think about it, if you take the narration out of that film, it's a totally different, I think it'd be a much better film. Because I didn't think it's amazing, but from reading up behind it, it's the studio basically destroyed it. They wanted it to just be a generic. Yeah, and they wanted it to be pulpy, film noir, and... The way we see it is the way he intended it to a degree because it's very jumpy backwards and forwards and the studio wanted it done more linear and when he did that it made even less sense apparently. So they were like, right, you have to add in this narration. Which I suppose does set it up but it's seen as a big influence on Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction for Quentin Tarantino in that non-linear style. Mm. I think it would have been a much better film without it. It's very... I don't know, it was good, but that narration kind of pissed me off. It felt like, it reminded me of old cartoons from the 50s where they were kind of like Warner Brother cartoons where it was like, there's a classic one where Goofy is driving to work or something and you have this narration of it. I just couldn't get that image out of my head. <laughs> and it kind of really removes you from the film. A little bit by doing it. Yeah, I thought it was quite dated. I thought it, I enjoyed it. Um, but the stuff that is dramatically... Um, like the ending and stuff yeah the ending kind of falls flat a little bit like there's a few other bits where you're more shocked and everything but uh as a thriller kind of it's very watchable but you can see that they um but then again is like because it is from 1956 so 
we've seen this so done so many times and this would have been one of the first kind of to do not one of the first but you know i'm sure it had certain tricks and stuff that we're just so used to now yeah but a good cast he got uh what's the main guy's name stanley hedden stanley hedden yeah, yeah. oh sorry yeah, yeah i couldn't remember his name but uh, I, I enjoyed him um immensely <laughs> there was a thing i picked up as well it's there's somebody who stars in it as an onlooker and it's the first film they appeared in right do you want to uh michael douglas rodney dangerfield do you know who that is it's the guy from caddyshack the comedian oh what <laughs> and i was like he has such a distinctive face i now want to go back and watch that and see where he appears apparently he's an onlooker in the racetrack at one point right I like the wrestler as well. I mean, did you find out who he was, no? Or the guy who just did a really comical... That, yeah, like, stuff like that was terrible. There's, it like, a fight weird. scene. You expected to hear the comedy sound effects. He was obviously, in my head, he's obviously a wrestler from then, from the time. He's like Daddy Haystacks. Giant Haystacks, yeah, I don't know. But it's still enjoyable. What do you give it out of five? In our watch, what's the star rating? Three. I'd go up near the fours. Um... It's not bad, but it's just, it, it has kind of dated. Yeah. yeah, and there's no credits as well. And there so. are better film noirs. Yeah, I saw it in the cinema, and there's always that thing that when the film ends instantly, and then everyone's like, oh, silence. Um, anything that does that always just sticks in my mind. Um, but it did inspire Kirk Douglas saw it. And yeah, he saw it. So then he was in the other film that we watched this month, which was Paths of Glory, um, which is Kubrick's fourth film which he made as a 28-year-old man. So a year, we're both 29, so just so as we feel suitably Shit, yeah. inadequate. Uh, that's what he was doing. So it tells of a French unit in the First World War who were sent out on a more or less an impossible mission um, to avoid certain death. They decide to retreat of their own accord. And then we get to see the fallout of this decision and the military kind of court-martial process. Um, as we know, you have to have a fall guy for these sort of things, and especially in the army, someone. So they all are for like the three squads or the three groups are all told to pick one person. So it's interesting, like they they each nominate one. Some of them do it randomly. Other people just uh, the Spite. corporals or whatever use it as a as an excuse to pick someone that they don't like to put forward. Um, so um, the film's famous for featuring Kirk Douglas in the lead uh, role. Um, and he is, of course, still alive at 97, coming up to his 98th birthday on the 9th of December. For the Great year. tracking shots in it. It's kind of like, oh, here's where he started his fermentation for The Shining or something. You yeah, know? it cost a million. So I presume half that money from the uh, from the killing, the heist in it, was used for this film. So, yeah, the trench scene, you can kind of see the war uh, stuff is quite good. Like, it, it, I was saying, because we watched this together, I was saying if... If the camera wasn't static, it was quite funny in that by having the actual track shots, we, um, we've we become accustomed to not feeling war as much or something because it was too comfortable. You know, you'd see a big explosion, but like perfectly smooth camera yes. as it rolls back. And we're used to now seeing the, all Sounds the tricks. Like a play of like a, in some regards. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, loads of talking like in it. So, but I, so the, while the war stuff is good and very influential, to, um, particularly that tracking shot coming back through the trenches, Kirk Douglas yapping away the fa- i love the court scenes more kirk douglas decides because he's an honorable he's a goodie he decides to defend the men in the court martial court um in, which seems to be in a giant palace which mm. seems to be 10 minutes from the war is that legit seems to be their base at the front yeah, but for it's them like a palace though it's quite 
convenient that they just position where the war was. Yeah. Um, yeah, all the so political kind of machinations are fantastic. Good. Yeah, and I don't think it's any surprise to say that you have to have a fall guy, so these guys are, are kind of yeah. put forward and sentenced and everything. Have, and like, before we watched it, I was like, yeah, I kind of know what this is about, but I didn't know where it was going to go, and a spoiler, like, they all do get shot. Yeah. Which I was kind of surprised by. And you're, you're kind of for the, bummed out. You're, you're like, oh no, they're going to get no, out World of this. World War One, And there's a couple of great lines about the war. Um, none of which I've written down or remember. Um, but the script is very yeah. theatrical and stuff. And you can really start to see um, Kubrick kind of putting down a marker for himself as a director. Like for this to be his fourth film. And then from there on in, it's just kind of the good stuff. Yeah. You know? I do wonder, was he a perfectionist here? And I'd say he, from the killing and what happened to him, kind of furnished his hatred of the studio. And, you know, it was like, I'll try and get as much control as I can. Like, was he doing loads of takes in these kind of films? Because I suppose yeah. it's the late 50s, so it's still the director is probably still just, you know, he has a, he has sit a budget behind the and camera time... and get it in. Like, yeah. still more so the producer kind of yeah. working for contracts. Do you want the trivia? You might already know. This could be, but this blew my mind. I didn't have a clue. Um, the film closes with a brilliant scene uh, of the squ- the the troop, the squad, the group singing a song. Yeah, singing a song, and the young German girl, Christiane Harlan, uh, went on to become Stanley Kubrick's uh, wife. For she's still alive, and she's eighty two or eighty one or eighty two years old. The girl singing the song. Yeah, the German actors. Oh, they got divorced. The German though, girl, because it's not. Is that the same? No, they lived Who together until forever until she died i thought he was married twice we'll have to look this up because didn't she make then obviously the making of documentary for the shining that was his daughter oh sorry I okay think, i think what the daughter would have had to be about 20 at the time if this is 57 and the shining is 1980 23 checks out who knows anyway no i think that is it because this got um paths of glory got Every release earlier this year, as seemingly as part of a World War One centenary, which is pretty bleak. Yeah. But uh, um, that's the version I think that we saw the uh, Criterion like new print transfer, so it looked great. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was the kind of thing. And props to Colonel Dax and everything like that. I think this is this another four star. Yeah, I think I enjoyed it more. It's very similar in tone and certain and look to Yeah, there's killing. one or two characters who are completely out of place like that. The French general who goes like this, oh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They're, they're in a different play, like that's some are in a different film. It's they're like, like they're a Shakespearean a, kind yeah. of method or, you know, we're just yeah. going to say it like this. Whereas the lads who get executed eventually seem more like street, kind of all like a bunch of New mm. Yorkers. Who are yeah. just there. Like, that's the thing as well. But for the time, you don't really care. Like, again, if that came out today, I was like, why are these all French people speaking fantastic English? Which pissed me off with that, Philip. Uh, uh, a most wanted man. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, do you have a quick November pick? Yeah, the imitation game is ah, out. the imitation game. It's out on the 14th of November and it stars Benedict Cumberbatch as Alan Turing. Who helped crack the Enigma code. Um, so it's directed by Morton Tildum. Do you know what else he directed? No. Headhunters. Oh, oh I did know that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So very promising. Looks good from the uh, trailers, etc. Has got them in. Always fantastic. Uh, Keira Knightley in it. And um, yeah, comes out the 14th of November. Looks very good. Yeah, he plays a gay man. I hear. 
This isn't in the. This is an interesting one from the premier. Everyone in a lot of the reports afterwards, they were like, "Cool that they played up on that. They didn't just try to hide it." And they, he's quite camp in it. Is that right? Well, it was only came out recently that he was able. To, it was allowed that he could even divulge. I think the fact that he was involved in it. Right, and it was he seems to have been the, the actual fact, hero. Like, so yes, this is pretty a, much. I think yeah. that's kind of what spurred the film as well. Brilliant. I remember the BBC had something about it. And it's got old uh, Smaug himself there, Benedict Cumberbatch, a man who doesn't seem to stop working. Yeah. So much stuff. Uh, my pick is The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1, just because cause it's got Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, is it his last, I don't know last if, film we will see No, he'll be screen. in Part 2 next year. Oh, okay. Which is funny, but I think is it's... Is this not Part 2? So this is the, this third, is the film. third book, but it's Part 2 of the third book. So, so there's Part 3? four. There'll be four films. They've done the Harry Potter. So this uh, is part Twilight one of thing. the third book. Yes. Okay. So it's film three of four. Brilliant. I know. Well, it is. It is brilliant because these films are actually brilliant. I'm, I haven't and seen the second one. one oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's one to watch. They should read. They might do that kind of thing where they show the first two in the week before it or something. I so. think the lighthouse has already put up their. Uh, mm. Come watch the Hobbit marathon oh the whole thing yeah so it's out on the 20th of november um but i don't know if cgi philip Seymour hoffman is in it or if cgi philip Seymour hoffman is in the last one because he wasn't finished oh uh, okay. before he got finished yeah in his life so all right um, uh we'll take a quick look at our next month's watch with spool and it'll be our last watch with spool of the year because december obviously will be our end of year roundup oh yeah yes so we're going to look at the sequels. We kind of, this month, we were lucky enough to get to the Jameson Cult Film Club uh, Halloween special screening of Friday the 13th Part 2. You hadn't seen Part 1 and I was like, oh, I wonder how they're going to do this because I hadn't seen the second one. And in the first five minutes, they recount the entire film in brilliant Yeah, horror. it was fantastic yeah. editing and just it was a three, it was about three minutes. I said, and yeah. it was all the big moments. You're like, there you go, there's the entire story. So it kind of got us thinking about sequels um news came out this month that there's going to be a ghostbusters 3 but it's going to be all female based which is fun uh, that, that ghostbusters thing has been going on for so long though yeah it's just kind I'm of i'm already like, tired make of it, the like, third one and just be done with it yeah you know? but like we've always oh will bill murray do it who's involved oh these people are gonna die like it had to be a completely you didn't want any of the original guys no. in it so um what else what other sequels dumb and dumber it's coming out. It's also month. there, yeah. And then Monsters, which was a even just on a on the idea of like why are they doing a sequel for that? Monsters was a Gareth Edwards film from two thousand ten. He went on to Godzilla. But uh, yeah, the sequel to it out at the end of the month for seemingly no reason at all. But anyway, a pretty trivial kind of thing. We're looking at two sequels, yeah. so why not? If uh, we're gonna look at the French connection too, because we've both seen one. A fantastic kind of Cop. And, and you're Twitter. certain you haven't seen two, and I'm unsure. Yeah, because I'm happy I don't to watch even, it again. Yeah. And then our second film, because we're kind of coming into December, is going to be The National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which is very funny. It's it's kind of forgotten sometimes as Christmas films, but it's it's up there. An old film that's out on November the 28th is 2001 A Space Odyssey, and this had a great trailer last week, and uh, it looks to be in great uh, shape. And Good Nick. Yeah, so our scene it to wrap that up. Uh, we should get paid by the lighthouse. The amount of plugging we have done for this uh, season. No, but we're well for this season because it's an actually it's a fantastically well put together Curated. thing. Yeah. yeah, so credit to them for actually giving over a lot of their kind of space, and I think 
the few that you've, you've been at and me. I've been at, people are going to the films. Yeah, There's I can't wait to, to see and 2001 on the big screen. That's fantastic. Yeah. And Barry Lyndon. I'm going to catch Barry Lyndon next Wednesday. Yeah, it's fun that they've spread it out over two months as well. But um, anyway, here's our scene from seeing it. Here's Hal. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. What are you talking about, Hal? This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. I don't know what you're talking about, Hal. I know that you and Frank were planning to disconnect me. And I'm afraid that's something I cannot allow to happen. Where the hell did you get that idea, Hal? Dave, although you took very thorough precautions in the pod against my hearing you, I could see your lips move. Hell? I'll go in through the emergency airlock. Without your space helmet, Dave, you're going to find that rather difficult. Hal, I won't argue with you anymore. Open the doors. Dave, this conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Hal? Al. 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 